Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen. Episode 187 of A Play on Nerds. As always, I'm Steve. This other guy. That's that's me. I'm Jarvin. What's the hell out of this thing? (laughs) But before we do, Jarvin, it's been a hot minute since we talked. We got ahead of schedule so that we could enjoy a leisurely holiday. That's right. But what are we talking about first in this episode, Steve? In this episode? I don't know. We're out of practice here, aren't we? We're in the new year. We're turning over a new leaf. We're going back to our nerdy roots, just doing something random. So we're going to talk good advice for new, old, and everything in between Dungeons and Dragons players and Dungeon Masters. That's right. So whether you've played before or not played before, or if you want to dabble your foot into being a DM for the first time, or just want to be a better player slash DM, check it out our main feature segment later on. 10 tips. 10 tips. That's it. 10 tips. 10 tips. <laughs> That's right. Um, but before that, Berman, yeah, we took a leisurely holiday. What, what, did. what did you get up to? What did you get up to over the holiday? Yeah, well, I first, I had to do the two Christmases thing because uh, I have the wife and her parents and then I got my mom and my oh, stepdad. Yeah, it's real. It is real, you know? So um, yeah, we, we did a little Christmas here with my family, my aunts and uncles. It was kind of nice. And the night before... Uh, kind of did like a day early thing. And then Christmas Day, we left to go to Nashville, Tennessee to go see Jolie's uh, sister in Nashville with her parents. Um, they were all there as well. So that's first time I ever went to Nashville, which is really cool. And we got to see the African-American um, Music Museum, which is really awesome. Uh, it's like this awesome, very expensive looking museum with like interactive exhibits. And you go through the whole history of African-American music in the U.S. Um, it, it was really cool. And uh spend some time with her family. We drove back with her parents. We flew there and then drove back and it went surprisingly well, low drama, um, the whole trip. So that was really nice. And, uh, got to exchange some gifts here and there. And it was, uh, it was a good day. So what about you, Steve? Oh boy. Did I get up to some bullshit? <laughs> what does that oh. mean? Okay. So this is our first Christmas here close to the family in Pittsburgh. In Pittsburgh, we we used to come here, get on a plane, but it was such a different dynamic to not be traveling here, to not be staying with anybody, mm-hmm. and to be able to make a little bit more like way for ourselves, as far as like what we wanted to do and what we wanted to participate in. That's got to be nice. It was nice. It was very nice. Uh, and so we had Christmas Eve at my folks' place. Uh, thank you, mom. For the first time in like years, I, they serve neither shrimp nor quiche. <laughs> Is that usually a point of contention? <laughs> I hate them. I hate both of them, <laughs> them for a very long time. Every few years I try again. Nope. Um, I like both shrimp and quiche dress. You can make it for I, me. There was a long time where <laughs> I would say it and mom would be like, really? I didn't know that. And then. Now I remember you saying this last year in the podcast. Absolutely. (laughs) Here, there was no shrimp. There was no quiche. I was very proud. Ham and potatoes all the way. Uh, (laughs) We did Christmas morning here. 
the parents came over early. We did gifts with the kids, breakfast. Uh, then people came over in the afternoon. We ended up hosting 13 people. Which is weird because you don't have like the biggest house out of everyone in the group, right? It's just that people come to you guys yeah, but because- we wanted to host. We, we yeah. wanted to host, but it started that it was going to be us and my parents and my Aunt Joyce and this guy from work. Mm-hmm. So like eight people. Eight people's a doable dinner. And then it turns out that my godfather and his wife are in town. And so we invited them. Mm. Two more. And the kid from work was like, hey, my mom is coming to town for the holidays. And I was like, yeah, she can come. Absolutely. And like a week later, he was like, hey, Steve, I was just wondering, could my sister come? And I was like, oh, is she visiting you too? Because I thought Costa <laughs> Mika. So uh, and he's like, well, she's 15. She's with my mom. And I went, well, yeah, she can come then. But you should have mentioned that earlier. That's <laughs> with your mom. Yes, she can come. And then like just a few days before, he's like, dad. So my dad was going to come in on the 27th. He was, turns out he's surprising us coming in on the 23rd. At that point, you were like, no, just have your own Christmas. Don't go to some stranger's house with your whole family. <laughs> but, then I was, but then I was like, yeah, whatever. At this point, we're just pulling up chairs. <laughs> so it ended up being 11 adults and two children. Oh, my goodness. Children, if you count the fifteen-year-old, <laughs> guys, but random she, family from work that you don't know very well. <laughs> no, and and two and a half of them didn't speak English. <laughs> his mother spoke very little English. His father spoke almost none. His sister clearly spoke and understood most of what we were saying, but really didn't talk. <laughs> <laughs> That's something like a teenager. She yeah, she didn't help to mingle the situation. <laughs> Quietly, but she clearly got most of it. Any teenage girl I know, that's pretty much on par. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, and then I had a few days of work, but then I had four days off, but we had just a string of family things. Mm. So we had Christmas too, which is when Christian and Sarah come back to town and we do a second smaller Christmas where we give gifts for each other that we weren't there for, blah, blah, blah. Then the next day, we had Christmas 3, which is Bauman Family Christmas. Oh, man. Which my Uncle Harry hosts at his church that he bought and renovated into, like, a living place. Right. The it's Bauman big. Center. It's a, it's a great meeting place. We probably had 20 or 25 Baumans there, plus kids. Uh, I got my Santa Claus outfit. Nice. And did some secret Santa or some uh, Bauman gift exchange stuff. Um, so we had that, and then the next day was the Penn State game. Big thing in Pittsburgh. <laughs> normally, like, getting on a plane to go back. But instead, we got to stay and go to the Penn State game. Uh, and that's that's where we hit some turbulence. Uh, so uh, we're at the Penn State game. The kids are playing down in my cousin's backyard. They've got, like, a swing down there. It's a little rainy, but, you know, whatever. Kids are playing, and suddenly we're inside, and we hear screaming, and Joyce comes in. She's like, Dilly is hurt. <laughs> um, and she drags him in, and he's bleeding from the mouth pretty good. Oh. Pretty good. Uh, I He goes to mom to calm him down. I take Joyce out so she can show me what happened. He fell, like, three times, the last of which was him tripping up the stairs, in which he bit the stair, supposedly. Uh, ouch. Yeah. Um. So the his one of his front teeth is gone. <laughs> It's just gone. But it was a baby tooth, right? Yeah, it's a baby tooth. So that's good. All right. That's good. Um, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> and so, uh, so that's good and all. <laughs> that's fine. 
but he's bleeding his lips all messed up his chin's bumped and then so we get him calmed down but he has a second panic attack because we're supposed to get to go to kennywood lights that night mm-hmm. amusement parts christmas light thing he starts freaking out that we're not gonna be able to go to that <laughs> uh, so we get him calmed down we do end up going to that we got some great goonie shots of him missing the tooth i saw them in that group chat earlier that was really yeah, cute just a great goonie shot of, of dilly being so happy um so then so just by pure coincidence we were taking Joyce to the dentist on tuesday and so we asked him hey like we told him what happened can you just take a quick look make sure it looks like it's gone entirely blah blah, blah. And he's not complaining and so the dentist looked and he's like you didn't find the tooth right we're like, no and he goes oh that's because i don't think it came out i think it went in oh no yeah so how do you not feel the constant pain of that so the de- so the dentist, hey, not that worried about it. <laughs> in fact, called Anna on the fact that she looked so incredulous about what he was saying because he's like, there's like a seventy or eighty percent chance it's going to come back on its own. Might be a little weird, might be a little wobbly, but that's okay. It's a kid tooth. It's a baby tooth. Uh, he's like, keep an eye open for it. Watch for infection, and we'll check back in six weeks. That is weird. I guess the baby teeth situation is so pliable that it's fine. You know, it's weird that we grow these bones out of our mouths anyway. <laughs> this is very strange. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's kind of missing a tooth, sort of. Kind of. It. We know where it is. It's like it got real cold in the water and you, you know, yeah, your balls retract, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Dilly's a little champ. but Absolutely. And then that just concluded the holidays. Like, I've got nothing left. <laughs> Well, I forgot one big piece of news. My sister uh, just announced to her whole family during Christmas that she's having a baby boy, a second <gasps> baby. Yay, baby. And it's also a big curse in the family that the women in the day family, my mom's side of the family, never have boys. Like, that's why her her father and mother had four girls because they kept trying to have a boy over and over again. And it never worked. Mm-hmm. And so I was the first boy. So they finally named me after my grandfather because he was trying to have a boy for so long. And now Ashley's having a boy. My sister's having a boy, so it's really cute. Let's tell her. Congratulations for me next time you uh I will. But I think that takes us to some nerdy news. It's time for nerdy news. All right, since we're talking Dungeons and Dragons this uh this week, it's kind of good timing and sad timing, unfortunately, because just recently, I think it was about two and a half weeks ago, maybe, uh, Hasbro, which is now the parent company of Wizards of the Coast, which in turn is was is the parent company of Dungeons and Dragons, uh, they laid off 800 employees. And it's a it was a weird bad look because they've had profits. So people were kind of confused. And so they were all everyone in the D&D community was really worried and concerned that this was like showing like the decline and death eventually of Dungeons and Dragons as a property. But apparently it's not like that at all, and it's fine. Hasbro is a giant monolith of a company at this point, and 800 employees is a lot, but it's kind of a drop in the bucket for their whole company, and they never actually disclosed where those 800 employees came from. So on closer inspection, apparently the Wizards of the Coast arm of Hasbro is doing quite well, actually. Um, First of all, the massive success of Baldur's Gate 3, which is a Wizards of the Coast property, that video game became so successful, I think it won Game of the Year this year, um, made them millions of dollars hand over fist. Then they, they even the CEO had to come out because people were really worried about D&D. And they said, D&D is one of our niche properties. And the people that 
buy those items, they don't go with the tides of the ups and downs of the economy. They're just always kind of consistently buying. They'll be broke and it doesn't matter because it's like they have that one place to go to get it. And so that's not really a part of the Hasbro machine that is causing problems. Um, so apparently D&D is okay. That's why I named the story Dungeons and Downsizing Wizards Still in the Game. <laughs> well, maybe someone will someone cool will buy them, maybe. Well, I mean, someone cool did buy them, Hasbro. So now Hasbro's not going to let go of their like, golden property. Maybe, but if they're going into debt enough that they just fired 800 employees or whatever. Oh, that is what he said, too, that, that the toy side of the company was particularly what was hurting because they said during the pandemic Hasbro made hand over fist money. Apparently people were buying toys from Amazon and shit, you know, like, and even D and D made record profits and stuff. Cause people were doing right. you know, zoom D and D. Um, and he said they kind of upscaled too much. And then now it, the inflation and everything, the economy is going much worse. So they've had a huge cut in their profits. And so they had to lay off 800 people. And it's, it's like streaming like Netflix yeah. they pumped out a thousand new shows and nothing was organic growth. It was just, Growth, growth. <laughs> it did not go so well. Oh, and apparently there's a uh, Magic the Gathering, which is also under Witches of the Coast, uh, has a mobile <laughs> game that is doing incredibly well, making millions of dollars. So that whole section is totally fine. So all right, well, good. That's the, that's that's all for the the Dungeons and Dragons news. All right, well, I like that. Yeah. I think that takes us into our main segment. We're going to talk a total of 10, five each tips for dungeon masters and players. Hell yeah. I tasked Jarman with preparing the players tips, mm-hmm. and DM tips. Yeah, Steve is quite an experienced DM at this point. At this point, I feel like I can confidently say I'm an experienced DM. Hell yeah. You're even making your own freaking worlds out there, man. Yeah, that's right. I start a new campaign this Sunday, Beasts in Toyland. Oh, it's exciting. Creation. I'm very excited. (laughs) So, Steve, what is our first DM tip? All right. Dungeon Master tip. So, as a DM, this is going to sound counterintuitive. Have your players roll less. Mm. Now, I'm not saying don't give them opportunities to change things or try something. I'm not saying don't let them try things. But what I'm telling you is really think about what you're having them roll for. Right. Your characters walked into this torchlit room or this room during the daytime with windows. What would they see? What would they genuinely see? Why do they need a perception roll to even know what they see? (laughs) True. Is there something hidden in the room? No. Then just tell them what's in there. (laughs) Don't withhold from them because that's how you get suspicious players who want to roll perception every single time, or you have roll perception, you'll be amazed how much time you are wasting and spending on rolls that are of no consequence. Yeah, it's like, is, why is it really furthering the story to have them constantly roll perception? I can see that. Yeah, or like, if you don't mean for something to be an obstacle and they suddenly decide, this door, is it locked? Uh, yeah, sure, it's locked. Uh, I put take up my left hand kit. Yeah, you're an experienced lockpick. You make short work of it. Yeah, instead of having to make them roll for that. Because then the question becomes, what if they fail? Mm-hmm. And then it's on you to figure out how to help them again. <laughs> help them succeed. I'm not saying make everything easy. 
They can fail, but really decide what you're having them roll for. And that also makes them feel cool and like they're part of like they're a cool character. They can accomplish things. Or that's when you as a DM, you have the opportunity to call someone out and give someone like a character moment. Mm. Like As you walk in the room, you, Bernard, you're from these mean streets. You see a symbol on the wall that you immediately recognize. All those badasses named Bernard. (laughs) That's right, Bernard. (laughs) I'm from the mean streets. My name's Bernard. You, Cynthia, you'd recognize those treks anywhere. <laughs> you just got so a Pilates like, class, Cynthia. You recognize those treks. <laughs> instead of having them roll for something, yeah. give them a moment. Give them what they need to be successful. And show their unique skills. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, and use your unique skills. It gives you an opportunity to do something. Think about what you're having to roll for. Don't waste your time with mindless rolls. That's the first one. I love that. Uh, first so a tip for players. Um uh, Make a personality character sheet for your character. Now, I know this Ooh. is a little extra work, but it's it's helped me so much with my characters. Um, it's similar to what you do with an acting part. So if you're searching for a role before you go well, to a play or any kind of production that you're in, you would like you should do some kind of what is the, the life of your character before this moment? What is their backstory? Um, and the reason for doing this in a campaign is it kind of helps everybody. If you have a kind of an outline, a guideline of what your character's personality is like and their background, then you can more easily and quickly react to situations in character. And that kind of makes it fun for everybody when you're not just playing as Steve or playing as Jarman, but you want to play as Grognock the Destroyer. What is his what are his quirks? What are the things that he likes to do? How what is his honor code? Like, does he have a moral guidance system? And then you're not like just kind of on the fly, uh, what the hell would I do? And we're doing things that are totally out of your character. You'll have a sheet that you've made that I don't even have to usually look back at very often because I'll remember just because I made the sheet and wrote it down. My mind will remember what I wrote down. I remember that thing you had. I have they- it up here. Actually, it's called Ash's Guide to RPG Personality. It was a great sheet that I printed out forever. It's still around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I used it at one point for one of my characters. And while I don't think I've ever used it again, um, what I loved about it mm-hmm. was that even things I didn't care about, I thought about them for a moment. Yeah, exactly. I took the time like, uh, do you believe, like, are you, are you theistic? And I was like, no, nah, I don't care about that. And then I was like, oh, but I wouldn't have thought about that. So <laughs> exactly. Like, there we go. Well, like it has little quirks. And actually the guide is really nice because it lets you roll on things. Like if it's something you don't really care about, but you think it'd be kind of neat if your character yeah. did have something like that. Like occasionally your pinky twitches or he smokes cigarettes constantly or something like it can have these little quirks that kind of add depth to your character and makes it more interesting for you and your DM and the other players. So I think it's got a fun thing to do. No, I love that. You're absolutely right. All right. Is it my, my turn now? Yeah, yeah. It's your turn. Yeah. All right. This is my favorite DM tip. Just shine a light on it. So many DMs I've heard and the people that I've advised are like, but how am I going to get my players to go blank? Or how do, what's a good way to get them to notice me? Or what's the, how do I get them to go over here and let you shine a light on it? Like in the darkness, you can see a single flickering camp light in the distance. Mm. What are your players going to do? They're going to go towards that thing. <laughs> you would, you you would think. <laughs> as you stare at the castle vacant for just a moment, you think that you see the flicker of a candle up in one of the windows, and then it's gone. What are they going to do? They're going to go to that thing. 
shine a light on it. You'd be amazed if you just have someone turn a light on, light a candle, light a fire, see a cook fire, uh, see a hearth burning, a house on fire. You see smoke rise over the hill and the faint glow against the growing darkness. What are they going to do? They're going to run towards that thing. (laughs) And see here, I thought you were saying shine a light on it just in the metaphorical sense, but usually in the pretty literal sense. I mean, literally, (laughs) to go do things, shine a light on it. You'd be amazed how quickly players will just want to go check that thing out. They're like moths. (laughs) It doesn't have to be anything. As you look through the room, the glint of something shiny, perhaps a jewel, catches the corner of your eye just beyond the sleeping goblin. Shiny. What are they going to do? They're going to go try to get that thing. <laughs> just shine a light on it. And they'll go. If you show them it's there, they'll go. I like it. Um, but yeah, so that's number two. Shine a light on it. Beautiful. Uh, my number two is uh, follow the yes and technique from improv with your DM and other players. So basically the yes and technique in improv is that if someone offers up a suggestion or they're saying that they're going to do something in game, um, support them. Just go for it. Who the hell cares? The game, have fun with it. And if it's a DM doing something, don't be arguing with the DM or the DM in character like they're an NPC and saying, well, I don't want to do that. That's stupid. Be like, oh, interesting. Cool. Go with it. Play with it. Um, and that, of course goes with the caveat of unless something's getting out of hand and kind of ruining the rest of the game like if someone wants to go blow up the town where all the npcs are don't maybe don't yes and that like maybe try to rein it back into where the the game can continue and the story can continue but be a player who's willing to go along with the other players and the dm don't be the player who's like stonewalling every decision from the dm and the players that that player sucks (laughs) yeah i call i call that yes and the plan and it's a simple formula Mm -hmm. to all the players in on it Things just happen quickly. Yeah. This is a DM or a player. We've all had those sessions that are like, you've been, you need to get into the castle and then you spend 45 minutes talking about it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then you two rolls and it immediately goes wrong. And the 45 minutes stuff you talked about doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> it's a waste of time. <laughs> it's just a waste of time. Nothing matters in that 45. It's all gone. <laughs> um, and so what I say is yes. And the plan. So the, the, the basis of this is just like any improv. You state the problem in the most general terms you can. As a DM? As a DM. Mm. Or like as a player. Typically, it starts with one of the players saying the problem statement. Uh That is like, we have to get past the guards without being noticed. Right. And then that's when you yes and the plan. Where everyone yes ands and says something their character specifically is good at. Okay. Uh, So like, well, you can contribute to it immediately. And I'll I'll set a small fire to cause a distraction. And the rogue says, yes, and I'll climb over the gate and unlock the unlock the door. Oh, so it's like an additive thing, yeah. Okay. And the, the, the soldier then says, yeah, and I'll stand by with my club ready just in case things go wrong. You. And then you do it. <laughs> don't Instead talk for 45 minutes. You just, you don't talk for 45 you talk for like 45 seconds, you have this thing where everyone agrees to go try something. And the other key to this is that you can't you can't plan too far ahead. And that's what we just talked about. Like the 45 minutes are gone <laughs> because you planned not only that you were going to get in the castle, but then once you were in there, how were you going to know how to get to the throne room? Well, we'll have to figure out how, how to track the jewels and then what we'll and you talk about all this stuff that never comes to fruition. That's true. I think there's like a you point to every, every one of those planning conversations has like a curve mm-hmm. where it's like 
it's really fun. You're talking about working to contribute. You're having a good time. You're laughing. You're joking. You're talking about how you're going to work it out, how the, what, what the plan is going to be. And then it starts going too long and then it gets boring. And then people are just getting pissed at each other and getting angry and resentful. And that's like, so just don't talk that long. <laughs> well, that's the other thing. It, it also, the, this sort of faster play also prevents the resentment that you're talking about and that there are the players that get bored. Mm-hmm. And then they're the ones that typically lash out and do these stupid outlandish things because they got bored. They run in because they're tired of waiting around. Because they're tired of waiting for the group. I've done that shit. <laughs> yes, you be the guy. I do that. I do that stuff. I still do that stuff in much less aggravating sense. I'm much more keen <laughs> about it now than I used to be. <laughs> That's funny. Um, actually, just this last week, perfect example. We're like walking through through a jungle. And we hear sounds all around us and we figure out one of them is about 30 feet away. And everyone's like, what do we do? Do we go talk to them? Do we try to talk to them? I don't know. What if they're, well, we should set up a trap. One of them pulls a gun. Okay, I'll set a trap. And so I just go, "Mm," and I teleport one of our guys over to one of them. (laughs) So it wasn't you. You teleported someone else. (laughs) I teleported someone else. And they like talked and they're like, oh, they don't mean us any harm. We're good. We can go on with the adventure now. (laughs) But it was just one of these, like, I just had to take that moment and just instigate it to knowing that we could just move past this. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just go. Let's keep going. Why are we doing this right now? <laughs> That's why I have a campaign of like the, I'm doing that fairy campaign and it went for like months because we're always goofing off and talk. Which is fine. The goofing off is part of the experience that we enjoy goofing off with each other and talking about random things that are outside of game. But also when we get to a plan, it is like a 45 minute conversation. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Yes. And the plan talk about it with your group, try it out. You'd be amazed how quick it can go. I've had it kind of accidentally happen a few times, and it's beautiful when it, when it works. Nice. All right. Well, that was yours, actually. Yeah, well, that's fine. <laughs> DM tip number three, load bullets, baby. Mm. Don't pull the trigger. Um, so in my early days of DMing, I, I got really, really frustrated because I would try to give players these branching choices so that they could feel a little bit more free or they could really go do the things in any order they wanted. But at the end of the day, they always went for the last thing I showed them. Hmm. No matter what it was, they would go to that thing and then they would pull that thread to the very end. And they'd take the next one and pull that thread to the very end. And so because of that, I got kind of resentful because they would do things out of order from the way I kind of wanted them. Or I would really have to struggle to reorganize things because suddenly the plot wouldn't make sense because they had advanced this one storyline really far. Mm-hmm. Like when you get in a video game and the video game stops you. You can't go that far. Yeah, you should probably go complete the quest down in the fishing yards, huh? Like, uh, those, uh, <laughs> hey, those so vampires they, are really attacking the city. Don't you want to get those vampires? <laughs> so when your players have gotten to a point with a plot line where you want to pause them or get them redirected back to other elements of the story. Uh, my, the key is to load the bullet, but don't pull the trigger. And what I mean by that is l- let them know what the next part of that adventure will be. Do not give them the information they need to accomplish it. Mm-hmm. And so that can be the simplest version of that is, oh, thank you for for running those those terrible ruffians out of the out of the shipping yards they've been plaguing us for some time i think they have new leadership in the area Uh, i've got informants asking around when i hear from my informants is it all right if i send for you Mm -hmm. bam the players know their next thing is going to be taking out the headquarters of the the ruffians 
but they don't have what they need to do it. So they get anticipated. They have things to look for and things to look forward to, but you are the one who gets to send the messenger boy to them, who gets to leave the scroll under their door for them. Whenever you want to. Yeah, whenever you want to. So load the bullets, but but then you don't have to, you pull the trigger when you want. Gotcha. And that can be anything from like, I'll send for you once I have information, uh, look for this sign sort of stuff. Um, keep an eye open for uh, like a green book with blood on it. You know, like anything can be this trigger that then you decide when it goes in. Gotcha. You're in control. <laughs> That's one of your powers as a DM that isn't you railroading. Right. Well, at least railroading without them knowing you're railroading. (laughs) You don't don't have the information you need right now. Yeah. It's not available. Or I'll do the same thing with like, oh, we'll we'll brew a potion to wake this guy up, but it's really complicated. It's going to take at least two or three days. Mm -hmm. And then bam. All of a sudden, they can't advance that storyline, and they'll go, oh, crap, what was that other thing we were supposed to go look at? Bam. So that's number three, load bullets. You don't have to pull the trigger until you're ready. Yeah, it's, it keeps control. I like that. Yeah. Uh, my number three is uh, if the game, if you're anything like me, sometimes I'm the more, I want people to get along in games and in general, board games even, in life. Yeah. And in games, are sometimes problem players pop up sometimes the worst sides of humans come out when they're playing D because they can be any character they want to be and their worst features inside they can finally put outside <laughs> so you, they become just an awful person to hang out with when normally you love this person so if something's becoming uncomfortable in game or even if something's boring or if you're just not having fun anymore for whatever reason talk to your dm about it but talk to them after game sessions over don't do it in the middle of the session and just take them to the side, just like, hey, I'm really having trouble with so-and-so, or I'm just really not having fun with my character. Because chances are, if it's a good DM, they'll be like, okay, first of all, if it's another player, maybe they can talk to that player for you in a way that's constructive uh, to say, like, maybe that player's not having fun. So they're lashing out, like we said earlier about, you know, they get bored, so they lash out. Um, and it's making the game not fun for you. Don't just sit there and let it fester and not enjoy it and finally just quit the game because you're not having any fun talk about it with your dm i'm sure they'll be fine addressing that issue um but just don't do it in the middle of game try and then there might be the best solution is often to do something in character in game that kind of changes the dynamic of your group as opposed to doing it outside of game with real people if you do it as a character they don't take personal offense to it and you can like be angry with their character not at them that kind of helps too uh, I've learned that the hard way through an experience recently in my D&D group where I said, oh, yeah. said things personally to someone instead of saying it in character in game. Um, so, yeah, just just don't let it fester and talk to your DM. They can probably help you out, make it better, and don't just let it fester. That's typical. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'll admit that as a player, I've been guilty of this on at least one occasion. Let it fester? <laughs> I got, no, I just got, and in fact, it wasn't with another player. that I did have a situation like that, but this one was actually with just the way the DM was running the game. Yeah. Where it was just, it was just a slog. I had, it really stinks when you're like, I'm going to make a bard with these awesome social abilities and these cool, tricky things. And then all you do is go and fight wave after wave after wave of guys <laughs> yeah. over and over. And you're like, why did I make this character? Why did I make the character who's good at talking if we can't talk our way out of anything? <laughs> 
Yeah, and a good DM should be like realizing the dynamic of their group. What kind of pl- what kind of characters did they make, and kind of address that with different plot elements and that kind of thing, which is difficult. But you need to try to do that. That's that's yeah. true. Um, yeah, and so and I let that vent where I was like, "This is a slog. We killed fifty guys this session. Fifty guys." <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> yeah, it was actually forty nine. So I apologized afterwards. I was wrong. <laughs> It was 49 guys. That's a lot of guys. It was so many, and it was such a slog. Um, but in that regard, though, he specifically as a DM has really picked it up. Nice. And added a lot of depth to his fights, made them more complex. And he's DMing a, a, Star, a Star Wars D&D game I'm in right now. Now, had you talked to that DM about it, or they just got better on their own? Oh, him and I have talked over the, we, we've been buddies for a long time. We've both DM'd, I DM'd for his group. In fact, my Sunday group now was originally his group. I'll see. There you go. You talk to him about and it and things improve. The Tuesday night group that he's now DMing for was my group. Because ah. I've just, after, for a while, I was slowly intertwining my two D&D groups. Now the point where there's a lot of incestuous overlap. <laughs> That's the way it works. Between them. Uh, it is, um, but yeah, I, that was yours, right? Yeah. Don't let it faster. I agree. Uh, all right. Number four for DMS. Don't let players call for their own roles. Hmm. Nah, I don't play that game. Meaning uh, what? Give an I example. Awesome. Um, well, cause there's a difference between me saying, you walk up to the edge of the camp. Everything seems quiet. And the rogue going, can I try to stealth up to the back of one of the tents and see what I hear? And me going, yeah, go ahead and give me a stealth check. Instead of me going, you come into the village and the rogue going, I roll a stealth check and walk up to the back of the thing. 24. All right, what do I hear? <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right. Hold on. Take it down a notch. Take <laughs> <laughs> it down a notch. So because that, I never, with a very rare occasion, I very rarely ever let my players call for rolls. Mm-hmm. I will sometimes ask them to clarify that what they want to do like, can, or like, you know, Danny will say like, is there anything I would know from my background in jewel crafting that might help me understand this element? That makes sense. So I'll say, okay, yeah. Give me like a, give me like an int history role. Like we can have, I'm fine having those kind of conversations surrounding roles, but not just like, just like, yeah, I jump over it. I rolled 22 acrobatics. I do it. I'm like, wait, 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 hold on. <laughs> You're doing my job for me now. Is that what's happening? <laughs> what the hell? Um, so yeah, don't let, I, unless in very rare occasion, do not let your players call their own roles. Because it's more immersive anyway in the story. If you're just like, what do you do? Don't say what you're going to roll unless the DM asks you to. Just say, I want to do this. And then the and DM. it falls into, into that category of really think about what you're having them roll for. Right. Like, like would you have let him walk up to the back of that tent anyway without being interrupted? Then just let would him you, do it. Right, right. Just let him do it. If there's no consequence, why have them roll? Right, it's not a high stake situation. Yes. Yeah, there's no consequence. Why did, don't have them roll? Um, yeah. So don't let your players call for rolls ever. I like it. Um, one thing that's I've loved as a player is note taking during sessions. Now, this Ooh. might seem obvious to some, but uh, if you don't have to have each person take their own notes of what's going on, but it's nice that at least one person in the group as a player is taking notes of what's happening during the game. It's a good idea for yourself to always take notes, especially things that are related to your character independently. Um, 
because then and also for the next session, someone can do a recap, say, like previously on D&D and they can tell you everything that happened in the last game session. And often there's like one person in the group who is kind of more of an introvert, doesn't want to get involved, like speak up much during sessions. And that's okay. They can be the note taker and they can be writing things down and they can contribute when they want to contribute. That's what my wife does. She she loves playing D&D, loves being there with the group. But she really likes taking the notes and like when she needs to contribute, she does. But she loves being there, kind of being like the history taker of what's going on in the session. And you don't want to be completely lost when you get back in the game. So I'm really pissed at you if you don't remember what's going on. I wrote down in my notes, I said, um, the players will appreciate that you aren't lost when the next baddie pops up and starts talking about the blood oath the local magistrate took, which kicked off the mana storm. And you look completely lost and like a deer in the headlights because you're like, what the <laughs> fuck is he talking about? So if you write all this crap down, because some of these campaigns can get very convoluted so if you have something to look back on they mention a name the dm talks about well barnabas said I'm like who's barnabas and you look back in your notes like oh barnabas, <laughs> uh, that barnabas guy. was the cleric we met in that city <laughs> yeah, yeah that guy okay oh yeah i got you, I got you. Uh, yeah the guy with the limp yeah okay <laughs> so yeah as a player at least you're if not for yourself try to find somebody who's willing to take notes or maybe switch off we did that for occasion in our group and that way not it's not always one person's responsibility but it's kind of and takes it off the dm shoulders to remember everything too because you as players should be remembering your journey throughout the session as well, not just the DM. So kind of help them out in that regard. So I like that. Yeah, I have an uneasy agreement with my players that I don't take notes. Yeah, oh, that's fair. You're the DM. So, you shouldn't have to. Uh, it's on them. They want to recap. They do it. That's what we do in our group. We uh, recap ourselves. And the DM <laughs> kind of can relax for that part. That's right. No, I fully agree. Have your players take notes. There you go. Uh, all right. My, num- my number five, five for DMs. Uh, and this is a combat thing that I do that I recommend all DMs try. So a lot of times, and I find especially once you get to level five, six, seven, when player abilities really start amping up, it's hard to make encounters feel dangerous. Even when you start giving most enemies multiple attacks, mm-hmm. it's hard to make encounters feel dangerous. And it feels like the only way to do it is to make them like stupid dangerous. And then, then you risk like wiping your party inadvertently because you got overzealous. Right. So here's my tip for increase the feeling of danger without increasing the deadliness. So whatever mob you have, if it's a plus five, make it a plus seven or a plus eight to hit. But take the damage that D eight, take it down and make it a D six. Uh-huh. So yeah, instead of a 1d8 plus 4, you're going to be hitting for 1d6 plus 4, but you're going to be hitting more often. And the act of hitting and actually successfully tapping your players more often, even if it is for less damage, will make them feel like they are more in danger. Uh-huh. Just the act of hitting them and then having to change their sheets and people watching people and asking about their health, those are the things that peak things up. Right, they're still getting because damaged. It, because it really sucks when you're rolling like uh, plus four against your players and everyone's got pretty high IC. So there's like entire rounds where you don't hit anyone. Yeah. DM, I've had that happen as a DM. I'm like, every single goblin missed you. Top of the round. <laughs> <sighs> um, slog. God damn it. Slog. <laughs> um, so just increase the chance to hit. That also goes you increase the, um, the spell save DC. Mm-hmm. So instead of a DC 12 con suddenly they owe you a dc 14 gotcha. but you lower the damage you lower the effect increase 
the feeling of danger without actually making it more dangerous. And you'd be amazed how you, you'll see your players react. Hmm. I wouldn't have thought of that. But yeah. I like it. Cause yeah, it's always hard increasing the difficulty without killing them all. <laughs> there's there's a, a very difficult area around seven and eight that I've only had to bridge once or twice where player abilities and the resources they have at their disposal for fights are just nuts to the point where you either have to make fights massive to eat all of these resources to make them feel like they're on the ropes, or you have to string successive fights and find excuses to not allow them to take rests. Uh, Like you have to find other ways to string them out to make it feel dangerous. Um, Otherwise the fights have to be these huge gargantuan things all the time. And then it gets unwieldy and it takes forever. (laughs) Right. That makes sense. All right. My last one is uh, try not to commit to a campaign if you know you're a person whose schedule is always in flux. Yeah, that one player who cancels all the time can be super frustrating. And there are ways around this. Um, If you have an ongoing group, you can always have a fun backup one shot that you can play when a player is missing. Um, Like if you want to make sure everyone's there for that particular campaign, you can just do a one shot if they're not there. Or someone has to call out or something like that. And this also gives players a chance to, to try their hand at DMing as well. Because sometimes one shots are easier to run and you can have somebody try out DMing and while well, that one player is missing. Um, but on that same note, always give advance notice before canceling. Um, because this is just playtime. But also as we get older, like playtime is really important. We have very little time. We have to schedule these things. And so don't just make it important for your group and not pissing them off. But make it important for you because this is the thing you want to schedule so that you could have scheduled fun because then you're actually having some fun in your week and not canceling it and make it important. Cancel other things so you can make these game nights because it's something that will be fun. And then everybody will have a better time because everyone's around more often. And just don't be that guy or girl that's just canceling all the time or is a flake and just kind of last minute saying, oh, I can't make it. I'm tired. <laughs> just, just, yeah, I mean, that's that's what I look for in my players is not say dedication, but people that I know are going to show up like I'm adding. I'm honestly nervous. I'm adding two people to the Beast of Toyland, my cousin Allie and her boyfriend Jerome, because mm-hmm. they both have Monday, Friday jobs for the first time, like in their lives. And so they're available on Sundays. Um, and so I'm letting them in, but I'm like, you know, I always worry about bringing in new people. Yeah. And all the, my and people are so dependable. And just be, have, have self awareness of your schedule where, like, I might not be able to commit to every weekend. And say, like, talk to your D- the DM and say, like, is there a possibility of a character that you could have that would make sense for them to be there sometimes? And that might even work out, too. Like, I as a DM, I wouldn't necessarily mind that if it's just one player who kind of who knows ahead of time that can't be there for the whole. Then you won't make the campaign centered around them. They could be an occasional person who drops in to help with missions or something like that. So it can be possible. Just like, yeah, but then I would have to know. Yeah. Know your yeah, limitations. Like, say it beforehand. Stuff that has to be done, guys. You what? There's math and stuff that has to be done, guys. That's true. That's true. Figure it out. If players missing suddenly, like you really, you've got to look at your fights. You got to look at your encounters. Exactly. So be like, too high. Know a month ahead of time. Like I will definitely be there for that weekend and be like, okay, we'll make the fights a little harder that weekend. I have time to prepare. Right. That'd be a thing. Yeah, exactly. So that's like, yeah, my-, like my, my other campaign, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the Star Wars one, I can only be there every other week because they still play West Coast time. Right. I can only play every other Tuesday when I have Wednesday off. I have every other Wednesday off, so I can only play that other Tuesday because I can then sleep in. Exactly. Yem knows this. We have a character I can come in and have. 
And my character is the healer, so he tries to save big, scary fights for when I'm there. There you go. See, it worked. Yeah. You were aware of your limitations going in. Uh, yeah, we went in knowing it. Yeah, absolutely. I fully agree. So I think that's five great DM and five great tips for players. We absolutely. Fun stuff. So now uh, for my bit, uh, I'm going to give just five terrible pieces of DM advice. <laughs> just awful. Let's okay. hear it. Tip number one, don't forget it's you versus the players and you only win if they die. <laughs> one of them isn't crying. You have not done your job. That's what you're supposed to do, right? Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. You only win when all of them are gone. Uh, really grab the reins of the story and drive them in a specific direction because players just hate choices and they don't know what they're doing <laughs> they don't know the brilliant story you've constructed for them <laughs> uh all right design encounters to punish your players for the character design choices they made <laughs> you got a flying character that, that just makes everything difficult every single enemy has a longbow no, the whole, the whole campaign's underwater. The <laughs> whole campaign's underwater. Uh, you got a tank with 22 AC. Fine. Every single attack the enemy has is saving throw based. <laughs> like it doesn't. You just, whatever they choose, you, you don't let them shine. You don't let them have their moment of glory where they really save the day because they're made for the fight. <laughs> you just punish them for being them. Uh, and then to follow that up, companion, say yes to your players for every single thing. <laughs> they ask if there's a, a, a like a farrier in town where they could buy a team of steeds to let them run up the side of a mountain. You say, "Yep, there's a special mountain <laughs> mountain goat vendor in this town for some reason who has a full team hitched up for you." Perfect. You just you just enable your players to sideline every single thing that makes it an adventure. Yes, <laughs> everything. And then finally, number five for my five terrible pieces of DM advice: uh, don't prep. Great DMs <laughs> improv everything. <laughs> Tired of prepping? Great, cut it out. Don't do it. Let's do it. Your players won't feel the difference. When they ask you to make a saving throw and you go, uh, I guess plus two, <laughs> they won't know. Uh, because you're so good. So you just believe in yourself and then you do nothing. Believe in yourself. That's the rule. You sit here. there and have a conversation or something. <laughs> and that is five pieces of terrible DM advice. <laughs> and that brings us some radical recommends. If you have the means, I highly recommend picking one up. What do you recommend I do? I recommend Pleasant. So this recommendation comes from a, a, a need that arose in me because I've been having some crazy months full of work. And in that, I need to take breaks throughout because I work like been working these 12, 16 hour days sometimes. And I'm like, I'll work for like a couple hours and then I have to take like a half hour break just to do, play a game or something. And I was playing a lot of Hearthstone because it's a card style game you can play online for free and it's short. So you can play like a match for 20 minutes, 30 minutes and you're done and you can go back to work. But I was getting tired of it. I was playing it so much. I was just like, uh. so I finally found a new game. I like single player games, too, because they don't require, you know, any extra people 
to uh, annoy you online. And so I was looking for a Lord of the Rings game because I love Lord of the Rings and they all look just not quite what I wanted. And so finally, my wife suggested that she heard a lot about the the new Star Wars games or Star Wars Jedi Survivor and then its sequel that just came out recently, which I can't remember the name of now. And so I, I downloaded Star Wars Jedi Survivors on sale for the winter Steam sale for $7. And I was like, seven bucks, sweet. It is a beautiful game. If you anyone's played Uncharted, which is basically like an adventure game with like it's I love it because there's so many cutscenes. It's basically like telling the story of this one kid who basically survived the Jedi Purge, the Order 66. And now you're it's a story of him hiding out as a scrapper on this one like planet. And now he's being discovered. So he has to go on the run and he runs into people who are going to help him. And throughout, you do a few action sequences, kick some ass with your lightsaber. And then you have you basically watch a mini movie with beautiful graphics and voice actors and um, all these landscapes of Star Wars and crazy races and stuff. And then you go back into the action for a few minutes, have to hit a button here or there, and then more movie. And I'm like, this is great. I'm like playing a movie. This is and that's basically what Uncharted was like, too. And the new uh, Tomb Raider game was similar to that as well. Um, so if you're into that kind of game, I highly recommend Star Wars Jedi Survivor, especially like the Star Wars universe, because it's like you're interacting with a whole new canon movie, which is pretty cool. Um, so yeah, highly recommend it. You'll even recognize the guy. If you watch any Gotham, um, he played the Joker in the Gotham TV series. Um, he's, he's definitely the mocap actor who's playing the lead Jedi guy. So, uh, it's, it's worth doing. Worth checking out seven bucks. Yeah, he was also in a shameless. That's what I think most people would know him from. Oh yeah. Was, that show was on forever. So forever. I'd never watched it. But I, know I. <laughs> I heard a lot of nudity in it. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Shameless. <laughs> So that brings us to some trailer reviews. All right. This week I picked Out of Darkness, a uh, Stone Age thriller. Horror movie? Horror movie, maybe. It seems to be about a uh, a tribe of Stone Age uh, peoples making their way to a new land uh, but they are encroaching on someone or something's territory, which steals one of their own, and they must venture into the dark to retrieve them. <laughs> it's true. I don't know. So I'm really weary of any trailer that has so many words, so much text. Mm. At the beginning, there were a lot of, like, the scariest movie, deep and thrilling, like those blurbs. The review blurbs, yeah. The review blurbs, there were a lot of those up front. So that makes me nervous. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> like they're, uh, she doth protest too much kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bajaram, what did you think of Out of Darkness? I mean, it's kind of neat because it seems like they're all speaking in a, a dead language. Like they're not, none of it's in English. It's all subtitles. Yeah. But like the the main actor, I knew him from the 100 or the 100. I'm not sure which one they go by, but mm-hmm. he was in that and he's Australian. So he doesn't speak some foreign language. I'm not sure what language they're speaking. So they must have learned that for the movie, which is pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Um, And it looks you don't get a sense of what there's like a monster or it's I'm guessing it's not a monster. It's just monstrous people or something. But they're starting to go insane. Um, It's shot very well. It looks gory and pretty. And I don't know, but. <laughs> We're in a, dr- a dirge, of, a, a low swath of movies right now in the January, February yeah, era. So maybe this might be the, the scum that rises to the top, you know? <laughs> it looks I high know, quality, but thing. yeah. It looks high quality. 
The acting looks pretty good, I guess. Yeah. You know, most of it was just facial expressions and stuff, but even that can be pretty compelling. <laughs> uh, I'd be, I am at least piqued and interested to know what the thing is. Yeah, something's chasing and killing people and making them go crazy, and so that's interesting. Yeah. Um, so in that regard, I guess, good job. Yes. Uh, but I'm going to give this one... Uh, so it's Raul Julia, and he's in his bed, and it's dark in his room. And he wakes up, and he looks around, but he doesn't know why. He can't figure out why he's awake. And then he looks, and he sighs heavily, and he goes, Gary, get out of my closet. I know you're in there. And Gary goes, no, I'm not. I'm a coat. And he goes, Gary, get out of my closet. Not till you say it. Get out of my closet. Not till you say it. <laughs> out of darkness. Woohoo! And he like sprints out, but he's nude. As he runs out of, of course he's nude. <laughs> so that's what we're going to do that one. Right, so my review for this film will be, uh, it's going to be Gary Busey waking up, suddenly realizing that he's chained down to a table and Raul Julia standing above him with some doctors. And he's like, this is for your own good, Gary. It's like, what? What's going on? And suddenly the woman from the magic school bus is there and they get into the magic school bus and go inside of his body and they get out of the bus once they're in his body miniaturized and they look like they're in a forest, but it's really like his nervous system. And they're fine trying to hunt down the demon that is haunting, haunting Gary Busey's body. <laughs> it's hiding somewhere in the darkness of his body. So they finally hunt down the demon and it turns out he's a regular guy after they kill that demon. And good. Someone's got to figure it out. Yeah, that's true. Oh, and by the way, I had to mention, I had a, a Jolie's parents, my wife's parents, listen to a, one of our episodes of our podcast. Oh, no. Because we had a long drive from Nashville down to Orlando. Oh, and no. What episode? They, I, She just randomly picked one out, her mom. And she picked out the episode of uh, the puppets versus the uh, demonic toys. Oh, no. That one's <laughs> so bad. And they actually seem to enjoy it. They're following along, even though they haven't seen the movie. But then we get to the trailer reviews section. And they were, <laughs> they were so confused. They're like, what the hell are they? T what, I, this is a review for, and I was like, and then I tried to explain how our review system evolved to this point, And I couldn't, I, di I didn't understand myself. <laughs> we used to have set ratings. Do you remember? We used to oh, have dumpster fire ratings. and things like that. Yeah. Burn it and fire and man, I don't know. There were a bunch. And then it turned into like a scale of Raul Julia's because we offended him in an early review. And then Gary Busey, somehow they ended, we, we invented scenarios where they lived together. <laughs> and somehow that equates a, a review for a trailer. But none of this makes any sense. <laughs> so her parents were just like, huh? And I was like, I don't know. Every episode we do this. And I had to defend it by just saying, we don't do this for the public. We do it for ourselves. Yeah, we do it for us. No one else does understand this. Why, do, why should we? Oh, so I just had to, I had to share that because oh, I thought that good. was amazing. That's good. But that brings us to the end of episode 187. Um, and next time on the show, we'll be doing some nerd roll of fortune once again. That's right. So the dice will decide our fates and what your ears will hear. That's right. Until then, keep on coming back and being our nerdy audience. We'll keep on coming back and being your nerdy co-hosts. Thanks again, Internet. Stay nerdy, my friends.
Thanks for listening to A Play on Nerds. Feel free to email feedback at aplayonnerds.com with all your questions or comments. Shoot us a message on Facebook or Twitter and earn yourself a sweet shout out on the show. Review us on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts so even more nerds can find us. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, we aren't picky. Check out our entire back catalog and other offerings at aplayonnerds.com. And how? How? 